Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Facebook gets sued for housing discrimination and what happened when Google's CEO sat down with President Trump. But first, all hail, ride hail. Later today, Lyft is expected to price its long-awaited initial public offering, or IPO, which means its shares should begin trading tomorrow on the NASDAQ. All indications are that investors have already gone wild for this thing, with Lyft yesterday raising its proposed price range from $62 to $68 per share to $70 to $72 per share. And if it hits the high end, it would be worth nearly $30 billion. And that's not including any stock price pop once John Q Investor can buy shares through his E-Trade account. But there are still lots of very big questions, such as Lyft's massive losses and the fact that investors very soon will have the opportunity to invest in Uber, Lyft's bitter, more diversified, and much, much, much larger rival. So for Lyft employees, this IPO matters because it begins to give them a way to turn their paper riches into actual cash. And there even are some monetary rewards for certain Lyft drivers. More broadly, however, Lyft's IPO is important for two reasons. First, it will be the broadest financial referendum on ride hail, which has become an intractable boon and an intractable burden to urban transportation systems. Second, this will be the first of what's expected to be a series of IPOs from so-called unicorn tech companies to be followed by Uber and Peloton, Slack and Pinterest, and maybe even Airbnb. Now, any one of those might succeed or fail on their own merits, but taken together as a basket, we'll finally know if their private market investors are champs or chumps. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Paul Hudson of Gladebrook Capital Partners, an investor in both Lyft and Uber. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Paul Hudson, founding partner and chief investment officer of Gladebrook Capital Partners. So, Paul, your firm is an investor in both Lyft and Uber. So should I take that to mean that you kind of believe the ride hail category will be so large that there's going to be space for multiple winners? Yeah, I think that's right. I think our view is that ride sharing overall ends up emerging as a a duopoly or in some regions of the world, a monopoly. And over time, it becomes a more rational market than what we've seen over the last few years. How does it become more rational? Well, we're going to see more consolidation. We saw just recently Uber buy Kareem in the Middle East. We think there's a few more deals uh, that will happen over the course of the next year or so. And then, you know, as the market consolidates down to one or two players, in markets with two players, a couple of things. One, often you have a shareholder or two that's common to both companies. In some cases, it's SoftBank. In others, it's, it's Rocketon. And, you know, those shareholders are going to re- expect a return on their investment. And in other cases where that's not the case, competition will be higher, but it's still a two-player market. And over time, those two-player markets emerge to be rational. So let me ask about those two-player markets, because there's a sense, and Uber, I think, expresses this by the fact that it spent a bunch of money trying to develop autonomous uh, vehicle technology, that these companies, or at least the way we view them today, namely with human drivers, that they're kind of almost transitional companies. And that might be five years, 10 years, maybe even 15, 20 years. But eventually, there won't be human drivers in these cars. And if that's the case, is it a duopoly or, or would something like, wouldn't GM hop in and that's when Google hops in and Amazon hops in really full bore? So it depends on your view on how autonomous uh, evolves. So our, our view is that autonomous is further off to start with than, than most expect. Dan, I don't know if you've 
taken an autonomous ride or two. I have, and I've almost been killed. I've taken one. It was terrifying. Yeah. So I think we both are going to take a pause on, on autonomous for a bit. But look, longer term, autonomous will emerge. It will happen. And it'll, it'll start with specific use cases that it's well suited for. When there's good weather, it's an easier route, et cetera. And so as that happens, those use cases will have an autonomous part of market fit. But all the other use cases are going to require you know, a driver. And so the one thing we've seen as ride sharing has taken off is that liquidity is important in each market. And it's important that you have an option that's two, three, four minutes away, whether you're going to the airport or whether you're going across town or whether, you know, whatever it is. And so ride sharing companies, we think, are well positioned in that context. So whether you're Google, if you're a technology supplier, it's highly likely you're going to end up partnering with ride sharing networks around the world rather than go it alone because you'll only be solving for specific use cases for an extended period of time. I had kind of speculated and thought that Google might actually try to buy Lyft right before the IPO. We've seen some other big tech companies get bought just hours before they were supposed to price. We are just hours before Lyft's supposed to price. You got any odds on, on whether it's actually going to be an independent company tomorrow? Our, our base case is certainly that they go public. We hope they do as a shareholder. I mean, they've got a very bright future ahead. You know, anything is possible. Um, a Google Lyft tie-up can make a lot of sense strategically. But based on, you know, the work we've done with the team, I think they're pretty committed to going public. One of the big things which jumps out in the Lyft uh, offering documents and will when Uber puts its offering documents out is the loss. Uh, it seems at this moment, Lyft would be the have lost the most money in the year prior to going public of any company ever in the U.S. going public for the first time. So excluding some, you know, formerly bankrupt companies. From your perspective, is there a path to profitability for Lyft? I think there's been a drumbeat around the losses in ride sharing. And now that Lyft has followed an S1, we can actually look at the numbers and assess what's happening under the hood. And so, yes, on the one hand, Lyft has lost a lot of money and they've invested very aggressively to grow. But if you look at what they make or lose per ride, so the unit economics of the business, it's steadily improved. A couple of years ago, they were losing money in every ride on a gross profit level. Over the last two or three years, that's steadily improved to a point where even including all the sales and marketing, all the incentives, all the discounts that we've seen, they're now approaching break even on every ride. It's a pretty big change over the last two or three years. Part of that, you, you talk about those incentives, and there's been obviously complaints, not just from Lyft, but Lyft and Uber drivers recently, particularly in Los Angeles, where you've seen some strikes and even, you know, some strikes even outside the Lyft roadshow. The drivers' prices have gotten cut. Should investors or prospective investors be concerned that there's going to become a lack of, as you said, liquidity when it comes to actual drivers? This is an area that they have to manage very carefully because drivers and supply is the lifeblood of their business, and they have to keep their drivers happy. That said, I think over the last few years, Years, these companies have spent a lot of money, uh, not just on driver subsidies, but on rider subsidies. So, for example, my office going from Greenwich, Connecticut to Manhattan, you know, I've been bombarded with discounts. Probably not a great use of, of capital to be you know, giving institutional investors discounts from Greenwich to Manhattan. But that's what's been happening. I think what we're going to see now, though, as both companies go public, we're going to see a lot more rationality into the market. I think we're already starting to see that in March, and we'll see that continue. When you say that, you're suggesting they've been goosing the numbers ahead of the IPO, which, I mean, we've seen a lot of companies do that, but that seems to be the suggestion here, right? I wouldn't say goose their numbers out of the IPO. I think it's, this has been an issue for a long time. There's been a brutal, brutal competitive dynamic between Uber and Lyft in the U.S., and the months ahead of the IPO are no different. The question is now that they're public or about to be public, does that change? And you know, based on our work with both companies and, and what they're saying to investors, I think it will. And that's going to be one of the big questions for these stocks. Does the competitive environment improve now that they're public? Our view is it will. We will be watching and find out. Thank you so much to Paul Hudson, founding partner and Chief Investment Officer of Gladebrook Capital Partners. My final two, right after this. 
Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Facebook, which today was sued by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development for violating the Fair Housing Act. So how does a social network do that? Allegedly by encouraging, enabling, and causing housing discrimination through the company's advertising platform. This lawsuit is, uh, in a word, surprising. Not because of what Facebook allegedly did, but because it settled just last week with the ACLU on this very issue, but apparently didn't work out a simultaneous arrangement with HUD. Axios Sarah Fisher reports that Facebook and HUD were indeed close to settling, but her sources suggest that the public lawsuit is a way for the Trump administration to make itself look like it's playing offense, not defense, before HUD Secretary Ben Carson heads to Capitol Hill next week to meet with the House and Senate Appropriations Committees. And finally, Google CEO Sundar Pichai yesterday sat down for a meeting with President Trump which we know about only because President Trump tweeted about it, of course, and how Pichai is, quote, totally committed to the U.S. military, not the Chinese military. Neither Google nor Pichai have said anything publicly, at least not yet. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great opening day to the baseball season, which not coincidentally is also National Something on a Stick Day. And we'll be back Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.